Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Hello, everyone. Thanks so very much for tuning in today. What a blessing to have you with us on this uh, Sunday evening. We are grateful you are here. My co-host, Pastor Josh, is with us, and he and I are very thankful for all who have tuned in. Well, we have a lot of information to share with you, so stay with us as we take a look at today's news, current events, through the lens of the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about what's going on? Well, there's a lot, and we want you to stay with us, all right? Hey, let me mention that you can connect with us on our website, AntiochBristol.com. That's AntiochBristol, one word, dot com, and you can find out how to connect with us. You'll find out more information about our podcast, and we certainly would love to have you reach out to us. Also, if you have questions about things that's going on today, the current events, or really any situation that you'd like to take a biblical view and get some information on, please feel free to contact us through our website. Uh, Of course, you can get with us through our email, and all of that info is on our website as well. So please, we'd love to hear from you. And we have from several. We're glad for those who have contacted us in person, others who write and call. We're very thankful for all who have reached out to us here at Answers from Antioch. Well, let's take a look at some things today. We know this week that President Biden, he signed the legislation. Uh, Well, it wasn't legislation. He just signed an executive order that said that 255 million Americans would become responsible for 45 million Americans who went to school and borrowed money and didn't pay the money back. So for the student debt of 45 million, 255 million people are going to pay that. Now, Proverbs chapter number 6, what's the Bible's view on this? My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou have stricken thy hand with the stranger. Now, what's suretyship? Well, that's signing a note on someone else's behalf that you're going to pay if they don't pay. Uh, You're snared with the words of your mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son. Deliver thyself when thou art come to the hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself. Make sure thy friend. Here's just the warning. He goes on to warn about this in these verses of uh, signing a note on behalf of others. When you are not sure that they can pay, then you will be the one responsible. And then... Here's also a caution of signing a note for strangers. Well, has that happened to us this week? Well, you and I did not sign the note, but our president signed the note for us. We're 255 million Americans. We'll sign the note on behalf of the president, or can I say it this way? The president signed the note on behalf of all of us to pay the debt, the student debt of 45 million Americans that won't pay. And when you get a better education, you should have a better job and you should make more money. And we thought all of that process would work. And that's how the student loans were given is you will make, you'll get a better education. 
you'll get a better job, you'll make more money, and therefore you'll pay the loans back. Well, I'm blessed, and my children all went to the universities, graduated, and with not only their undergraduate, with graduate degrees, uh, student loans were used, and I paid, and Mom paid, and they paid, uh, and thank God they're paid off, but we took advantage of those student loans, and we never expected anyone else to pay them for us. When we made the student loans, we made them with the thought in mind, this is something that will be paid for. We will pay it back. God will help us, and he did, and we're very thankful for that. And Pastor Josh is a recipient of those and been blessed to, again, uh, pay those back and We've worked together as a family to be sure these were taken care of. I never expected the United States of America citizens to pay the loan for my children, for our benefit. This was something I did. I never expected anyone, quote, to sign the note for that. But that's the viewpoint, I think, of the Scriptures on what has happened this week with the, quote, loan forgiveness. It's not really forgiven, someone has to pay. Isn't that the same way it is with Jesus Christ paying our sin debt? We know that our sins are forgiven, but they're forgiven because Jesus paid for them. He paid our debt of sin. He took all the debt upon himself and all the sins of the world and paid the debt of sin for us. Hallelujah for that. Thank you, Jesus, for doing it because we could never pay that sin debt off. No way, form, or fashion. Now, it's been said, been brought to my attention this week, actually. I've heard the statement on a few occasions, this is the worst times in America. Well, actually, it isn't the worst times in America. America has seen worse times. Uh, right after our Revolutionary War, uh, we know that there was a great spiritual decline, even after God helped us so greatly to win our independence from England. Uh, there was a spiritual decline then. And uh, when you read some of the writings of the great historian and minister, uh, Dr. Orr, you'll find out that we were in times, Dr. James Edwin Orr, in the Rev after the Revolutionary War, that our universities were gone uh, and we might use the term even gone to hell. Even our universities like Yale and Princeton and these, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Things got so bad on some of our campuses that not a single professing Christian could be found at Harvard. Not one, which was founded for the glory of God. At Princeton University, only two believers were found and only five students in the whole uh, university who did not belong to, quote, the filthy speech movement. <laughs> now, I'm talking about in the 1780s. Uh, students rioted on some campuses, and on one occasion, Bibles were taken from churches and burned. Uh, and Dr. James Edwin Orr went on to say many things about this, that Christian students were so few on some campuses that they met in secret and recorded their meeting notes in code lest they should be discovered and 
punished. Now, this really happened in our country in the 1780s, but hallelujah, a great awakening took place. Now, we're not, uh, we may be there in our universities today. Public education has definitely taken a turn uh, down the wrong path and been on that wrong path for a long time. We see that, don't we? In our higher education, for sure, in our public education, we understand it now more than ever. Yet, these are not the worst times. But these are times, as C.S. Lewis put it, these are times where people think if it's new, it's got to be better. If it's a new thought, if it's a new way, it has to be better. Can that be true? Is that possible? Well, no. C.S. Lewis called it the chronological snobbery was his terms. He said it's the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate of our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that count discredited. In other words, as I've said already, if it's newer, it must be better. But actually, the exact opposite of this concept is the idea that if it's newer, it must be worse. Well, in some ways today, it seems like the newer is worse than what we've had in the past. Now, we do know in America today, we do know that our land is certainly very much less godly and spiritual. People are reading their Bibles less than ever. Church attendance is at its lowest. We find this from the polls that's been released over the past year and year and a half. Studies been going on for 50 years that indicate these things have happened. But let me remind you, I, myself, I grew up in a time where I was just a lad, just a boy, six years old, seven, I guess, when uh, our president, President Kennedy, was assassinated uh, by a communist. Then later on, we had the assassination of his senator brother uh, by an Islamic extremist. We had later on the assassination of Martin Luther King, and I'm telling you, we had a divided country in those days. Uh, but the worst division, of course, was during the days of the Civil War. We're extremely divided. We're not there now, but can I say this? We are at a place in America that it's critical that believers take their stand on the Scriptures and that we stand up for truth, that we stand up for what we know is right, and that we proclaim truth, we proclaim the gospel everywhere, we proclaim Jesus, we boldly stand and declare that the Bible is true and that we cannot at this time take any other position than standing firmly on the Word of God, which is eternal truth in every age. You know, we're at a time that it appears to me like spiritually here in America, we're at a time like the world was in back at the beginning of World War II. Hitler was running across Europe. France was about to surrender. And uh, the English uh, parliament was trying to decide how to surrender. The uh, House of Commons was getting ready to sue Hitler 
and it was between May and June, well, between May 26 and June 4, 1940, that uh, 338,000 British troops uh, evacuated from the French seaport of Dunkirk, and uh, they evacuated. Many call this a victory, but Prime Minister Churchill did not see that as a victory. He stood up in the House of Commons and addressed the people of Britain and on June the 4th, and he called that escape of and the evacuation of the Allies from Dunkirk, he called that a colossal military disaster. He said, we will go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. You see, Churchill said, this is not a time for evacuations. Evacuations are never the answer. It's not a time of being quiet. It's a military disaster then, and it's a spiritual disaster now for Christians to be quiet and not to be bold in their faith. Wars are not won by evacuations, Churchill went on to say. Nations that go down fighting rise again. Those that surrender tamely are finished. Now, that's the condition of World War II, and we must credit Winston Churchill for being one of the major leaders, if not the major leader, in the victories of World War II, delivering the Jews and delivering the nations from Hitler's uh, horrible philosophies that he had in his mind and he'd convinced the German people of. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're not in the worst times. Someone said... These are the last days. This is the last generation. Well, I don't know about that. Only God knows about that. But I do know this. This is my last generation. And for most of you who are listening to me, this is your last generation. And it may be the last one before Jesus comes. But may I say this to all of us. It does not take our responsibility away of standing for truth in the public square everywhere proclaiming God's word, God's truth, being the witness, and standing firm on what we know is right. Well, our co-host, Pastor Josh, is coming now, sharing some very important truths, I believe, out of the book of Jeremiah that certainly gives us a perspective on today's world. Well, thank you, Pastor Brad, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Answers from Antioch, brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. We invite you to connect with us on our church's website, antiochbristol.com, and there you will find uh, lots of ways to connect with us. You can hear past episodes of this program our 10-minute Monday through Friday program, and this weekend edition that's 30 minutes long. You can go back and re-listen to those. You can share it with somebody else and so much more. Also on our website, you will find our service video live streams and audio downloads as well. Uh, You can connect with us that way. 
And so we encourage you again to go to AntiochBristol.com to find all of that information. We would love to hear from you. And maybe you've got a question or comment that uh, would be helpful to us. We appreciate your feedback, and we welcome that. You can visit our website to find many different contact options and ways to connect with us. All right, I'm going to go into the book of Jeremiah and chapter 44, and we're going to see this truth that I think is still plaguing the church today. Now, of course, back then it was Judah, the the tribe of Judah that was facing exile. Jeremiah had prophesied through the word of God that exile was coming. And yet we see a pragmatism in the worship of a group of people who are here. They want to worship whatever God helps them get what they want. And in cultural Christianity, what has been called cultural Christianity, we see much of the same thing today. Now, what is cultural Christianity? It's simply a Christian religion that worships God out of duty, out of a sense of, well, it's Sunday, I need to go to church, I I need to read my Bible to say I'm a quote-unquote good Christian, I need to say a prayer before I eat my food. In other words, it's a religious exercise that's not really trying to have a relationship with God, but its main thrust is to absolve some sense of guilt. If I don't go to church, I'll feel guilty. If I don't go to church, so-and-so is going to be calling me or texting me saying, hey, we missed you today. Where were you? And I'd rather just go than have to think up of another excuse for why I didn't go to church. Or uh, I better read a couple verses out of the Bible today, or I better check and see what the verse of today is through my favorite Bible app because I've got to connect with God's Word. In other words, you're doing everything out of a sense of have to instead of a sense of want to. And when things start going off the rails in your life and problems start to happen and trials come your way, you turn your back on the church, you turn your back on the Lord, and you begin to blame Him for the things that are happening in your world and in your life. You say, well, I tried to go to church. I tried to read my Bible. I tried to pray, and yet it didn't get me anything. It didn't get me anywhere. I tried doing what God says, and it didn't bless my life in the way that I thought it was going to. Dear friend, that kind of Christianity is not biblical Christianity. And if you're living that life right now, I urge you, I beg you, reconsider Look into God's Word and see God's truth for yourself. Jesus said it this way, echoing the truth that Jeremiah shares, and we're going to Jeremiah 44 in just a second. I'm laying the groundwork so that we see the parallels with where we are today. But Jesus said, you have ears, but they do not hear. They have eyes, but they do not see. We're hearing the truth. It's coming into our ears, but it's going in one ear, and out the other, as the old saying goes, and we don't pay attention to it, we don't heed it, we don't recognize the truth that is before our eyes. 
in Jeremiah chapter number 44, uh, we see that God is, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, speaking his truth to a group of people from the tribe of Judah. Now, let's set the stage, the context of what's happening to these people at this time in history. Uh, Babylon is going to come in and conquer them. And in fact, by the time we get to Jeremiah 44, I believe that they already have come in and destroyed the land. And there's a group of people who God specifically told them, if you read previous chapters, had told them, stay in the land. I will provide for you. I will protect you. Trust me. Stay right where you are. But they got together and they had their uh, conversations and they looked at the landscape. And in my mind's eye, I can see a group of people gathering together today saying, this is where we are. Babylon is coming against us. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to drag us off to Babylon. We can't stay here. There's not enough food to sustain us. Uh, There's not enough clean water. They've burnt the city. They've destroyed everything. They've taken away the animals. And they're destroying the crops. How are we going to survive here? And common sense leads you to think, well, if we don't want to go to Babylon then we've got to go somewhere else. So they put their heads together and they come up with a plan to go to Egypt. And God specifically warns them, no, don't go down to Egypt. Do not go back there. And they look back at their ancestors in the past that hundreds of years before had been led out of Egypt by Moses. And they think that we can find safety by going back to Egypt And uh, through their sense of logic, through their own decision-making skills, they decide, let's pack up, let's go to Egypt. And then when things settle down, we can move back here. But God specifically told them to stay. And yet they willingly disobeyed God and followed their own logic, their own understanding instead of God's. Doesn't that remind you of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. If God promises us that He is going to provide for us, He will provide for us. We don't have to worry about it. We can mark it down. But what we see from these people is not a respect for God, not a respect for his word. They have a pragmatic sense of worship. Whatever works for us is what we're going to do. We're not going to follow God if that doesn't make sense to us. We're not going to follow God if it doesn't line up with what we want to do. Doesn't that sound like some modern Christians that you know? Maybe that sounds like you. Maybe that sounds like me. Do we have that sense that I'm just going to do the worship that I want to do, the way I want to do it, so that my needs are met, so that my guilt is absolved, and so that I get out of worship whatever I want to get out of it. Dear friends, that's a self-centered view of worship, not a God-centered, Christ-centered view of worship. In Jeremiah chapter 44 Jeremiah is warning the people again, 
Don't go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, you're going to come under the judgment of God and you'll never come back to this land. You're going to die in Egypt. God is going to send Nebuchadnezzar as a hand of judgment into Egypt and he's going to destroy Egypt as well. You're not going to escape from judgment by going to Egypt. That's the harsh word of warning that comes from the lips of Jeremiah in the first part of chapter 44. And we pick up reading here in verse 15. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude of all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. We are not going to listen to you, Jeremiah. We're tired of hearing your doom and gloom. We're tired of hearing about judgment. We got away from judgment. We did what we wanted to do. Now leave us alone. In verse 17, But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth, a self-centered view of worship, to burn incense unto the queen of heaven. This is a false god. This is Asherah, and they would burn incense to this so-called queen of heaven to pour out drink offerings unto her. As we have done, we and our fathers, our kings, our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then we had plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. They said our forefathers worshipped this queen of heaven, so-called a false god, even back in Jerusalem. When the days were going good, we had plenty of food. We had plenty of anything that we could want, and we were worshipping that god. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven, yeah, we stopped doing that because you told us to stop worshiping the false god. And and we stopped worshiping the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her. But since that time that we stopped worshiping this false god, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out drink offerings unto her without our men? So you see, the people said, hey, we tried worshiping God. We tried that uh, uh, stopping worship of the false god, and it got us nowhere. It didn't make us any richer. In fact, it made us poorer. They did not understand God. Nor did they care to understand God. They wanted the easy life. They wanted their bellies full. And they were willing to do whatever it took to get that done. They would turn their back on God. And they did not understand that if they had obeyed God, they wouldn't have gone hungry. They wouldn't have had uh, these times uh, that they were under the severe judgment of God. And so, uh, as we're winding these things down, let us ask ourselves these hard questions. Am I only worshiping God because it makes me feel good, because it makes me comfortable, because I like the, the blessings that come from worshiping God? Are we more concerned with the blessings than we are 
with the one who gives those blessings? Are we really worshiping God? Or are we using Christianity to fulfill our own needs, whether that be physical needs, financial needs, spiritual, quote-unquote spiritual needs? We've got to ask ourselves these hard questions. I believe that if a great move of God is going to happen in our local churches, it's got to begin with us leaving self-centered worship and returning to true Christ-centered worship. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at antiochbristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us, and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.